So oftentimes when we go from reading a picture book to a novel, we're actually taking a step down in the complexity of language. So if I'd known that back then, I would have felt better about sticking with picture books longer. But now I'm a I'm a big believer in sticking with picture books for as long as possible. And then adding novels in, like instead of thinking of it like a ladder where you graduate from picture books and go to novels, we can think of it more like concentric circles. So you're always reading picture books and then you can add on novels when they're ready to listen to them. But there's nothing that a novel can give your kids that a picture book can't. This is Your Morning Basket, where we help you bring truth, goodness, and beauty to your homeschool day. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 118 of the Your Morning Basket podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I'm so happy that you're joining me here today. Well, on today's episode of the podcast, we have a special treat. My good friend Sarah McKenzie is here, and we're going to be talking all about picture books. Just a great conversation about how to find the best picture books, how to trust yourself as a homeschooling mom and knowing what you and your kids are going to like, how to use picture books with older kids, and so much more. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode of the podcast. Now, speaking of good picture books, Good picture books are the perfect tool to use in your morning time, and our free month of morning time plans are filled with great picture book suggestions. So if you would like to try out doing a morning time with your kids, we have a whole month of free plans for you that include not only the books, but music, art, poetry, and so much more. So come download that at pambarnhill.com forward slash month. And now on with the interview. Sarah McKenzie is an author, speaker, podcaster, and homeschooling mom of six with a passion for encouraging fellow homeschool moms like herself. She's the author of Teaching from Rest, A Homeschooler's Guide to Unshakable Peace and the Read Aloud Family, Making Meaningful and Lasting Connections with Your Kids. She also hosts the wildly popular Read Aloud Revival podcast, which has been downloaded over 9 million times in 160 countries. You can connect with her at readaloudrevival.com. And I am so excited to have her joining me on the podcast today. She's one of my very favorite people. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Pam, thanks for having me. I always love spending an hour with you. So this is going to be fun. So much fun. Okay, so we are going to be talking all about books today. And I want you to tell me, where did your passion for books, picture books, and reading aloud come from? Well. I was a voracious reader as a kid, so I really did have always loved books. But my passion for picture books specifically really didn't become apparent to me until I was reading them with my kids. And I would notice that some books I would read with my kids, I just, it's like I'd want to hide them or accidentally lose them behind the couch or something, you know, after I read them, like, please do not make me read that book again. And other books were just a delight to read aloud. And so I kind of started paying when I first became a parent 20 years ago, you know, what, but just paying attention to which books were capturing my attention and why that was, you know, why, what makes some books more appealing to read than others. But I started reading aloud a lot after I heard Andrew Pudua's Nurturing Competent Communicators talk that you sent me, my dear. Okay. <laughs> so, 
I just yeah. wrote an email this week saying you sent it to me because that's how I remember it. So, oh, that's really funny. I'm pretty sure you sent it to me. Okay. <laughs> and you went to the Great Homeschool Convention and then you bought the audio and sent it to me. I'm almost sure that's what happened. Okay. So somehow in the like what, 11, 12, 13, 14 years since this has happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely flipped the story around. All right. So tell I me mean, about- I really think most of the best ideas I've ever had are actually from you. So I think this is probably just a continuation of that running theme in our friendship. <laughs> oh, I love you so much. Okay. That talk was absolutely life-changing and like completely shaped my homeschool. So what what was it about that talk for you? Well, in this talk, he tells you that the two most important things you can do to help your kids be good communicators, whether that's written communication or spoken communication, is to read aloud a ton and to memorize poetry. And both of those things are actually very easy and natural to do. They're very enjoyable. Um, they're free. <laughs> you know, they don't require some like complicated curriculum or anything. And so uh, deceiving, de- it's deceptive how effective they are because they don't cost anything and they're pretty enjoy. They can be pretty enjoyable. They're not always enjoyable. And so that's kind of what stuck out to me. So I started reading aloud more than I'd ever read before, because in that talk, he says, however much you're reading aloud, read more. Yeah. 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 And so I did. And all the things he said would happen. They happened like better vocabulary and better written comprehension and reading comprehension, all these academic gains. But one of the things that I loved is that he these what he didn't actually say at least i don't remember him saying in that talk was how much we were going to connect how like this shared experience of rooting for the same hero and cowering about the same villain and holding your breath in the same moments really puts you all on the same page or reminds you all that you're on the same team and rooting for each other and so it had this incredible impact on our relationships and that's when i got super zealous about wait a second this is so simple and so effective on all the most important levels in our homeschools. Yeah. And so that was when you, I mean, you really did start the revival at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think the reason that it got, I mean, people get excited about it is for the same reason I got excited about it. This is simple. This is free. This is incredibly effective and I'm having a good time. And there's a lot of things that are effective in parenting that are not having a good time. So this is one of those ways that you can have a good time and and make a huge difference in your in your kids' lives. So big difference. And it's fun. Love it. It's fun. Yep. And it's fun. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, did you immediately dive off into reading like novels and things like that? Because I think I see this a lot with homeschool moms. It's like, oh, I can't wait till I can read the real book. So I want to dive into Little House on the Prairie or Charlotte's Web or something like that. So did you start with that? Or did you already know the magic of picture books at that point? No, I did try to read Little House. In fact, that very series with my oldest girls when they were maybe five and three. And number one, it was not successful because they wanted pictures. And number two, I was like, I felt I love the Little House books, by the way. Then audiobook narrations narrated by Cherry Jones are spectacular. But when I'm reading those books aloud, I feel like we're going through Noah's Ark all over again. It's like the log was this wide and this long, and it went on top of a log that was this wide and this long. And it's so much description. And it did not capture their attention. So I I got frustrated because, again, I had that same thought of, these are the real books. Because when we think back about the books that turned us into readers, a lot of us think back to Ramona or The Little House on the Prairie or Anne of Green Gables or something like the novels that we remember reading as kids. But one thing that has been really interesting to me 
to discover is that the syntax and sophistication of the language of picture books is actually often, not always, but very, very often superior to the language and syntax in a novel. And the reason for this is very simple. It's because publishers expect that when they you have a picture book, an adult is going to be reading this aloud to your child. Either that be a teacher or a parent or whatever, an adult's going to read this to a child. But when they were talking about Charlotte's Web or Remote of the Post or a novel, they're expecting that probably the child's going to be most often reading it to themselves. So now they have to take into consideration reading level, exile scores, and complexity of language and simplifying vocabulary. So oftentimes when we go from reading a picture book to a novel, we're actually taking a step down in the complexity of language. So if I'd known that back then, I would have felt better about sticking with picture books longer. But now I'm a, I'm a big believer in sticking with picture books for as long as possible. And then adding novels in, like instead of thinking of it like a ladder where you graduate from picture books and go to novels, we can think of it more like concentric circles. So you're always reading picture books and then you can add on novels when they're ready to listen to them. But there's nothing that a novel can give your kids that a picture book can't. So there's a lot of freedom in that because we don't necessarily feel rushed to get to the quote unquote real books. Yeah, I love that. And I downloaded your uh, grade leveled using Using books instead of a literature curriculum. I, yes. I'm like, I totally messed up the name of that. You're good. Teaching literature without a curriculum. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed that there are actually picture books for all the little grade groupings in there, all the way up to high school. Yeah. And you know what? There are some picture books that are not only best for high school. I mean, I would never read them with, you know, let's say a six or seven year old. Some of those are on our list for the high schoolers, but they might be set during a really difficult time in history. They're beautifully done. If we think of a picture book, we can think of it being like where the author only has a certain number of words to use. So every word's going to matter. So the the text can often read a lot more like poetry where the, the weight of the words matters. But then there's also these beautiful illustrations. And so for a lot of us, we'll think, well, as soon as a book has pictures, it's for little kids. So then instead we give our kids novels and then we take them to art museums <laughs> to look at beautiful art. When a picture book is like an art museum and beautiful poetry or really well-written prose in your child's lap. And so we, I absolutely read picture books all the way up through my high schoolers and my, my college graduates. I mean, my high school graduates who are now in college, they, they still feel very fondly and don't feel like it's childish to read a picture book, <laughs> which makes me very proud. Oh, that's that's awesome. Okay, so I'm just asking for your permission right now. I'm planning out my history curriculum for next year. And I was like, you know, I there's some really great picture books out here about this period in history. And I think I want to read them with my high schoolers. Oh, okay. So that's so fun because this that's what I did this last year with my high schoolers. I guess it was the year before. It was previous, but we were doing American history. And so we were reading through the story of us by Joy Hakeem. It's like a tech, like it's a spine, yeah, like a spine. And then, yes. And then every time we would run into a person during, as we were reading that spine that has a picture book biography, and they almost all do. I mean, there are a lot of spectacular picture book biographies. I would read the picture book biography to them about that person. And, and the kids actually thought it was funny because I would be like, I have a picture book for that became a funny saying in our, <laughs> in our family. Because no matter who we we're reading about, I'd go, oh, hold on wait, I have a picture book for that. And we'd read it. And my high schoolers learned just as much from those picture book biographies 
as they did from the, the spine text. We actually have a list of our favorite picture book biographies at Read Aloud Revival. So if you go to readaloudrevival.com slash recommendations, we have picture book biographies are one of my very favorite genres. And so we have a huge list and it's separated into like American history or 17th century history or even different kinds of people like artists or athletes or whatever. So it's really fun. Okay, I'm going to check that out. And I'm just taking this as permission. That's what we're going to do for next year is, is look at those. It's like, it seems so much more fun to do the picture books than, yes, than other yes. things. So, permission granted. <laughs> Thank you. See, I love this. It's like I'm just completely validated by these conversations. All right. So we're, we're talking about our fondness for picture books and how we love picture books. But I'm going to have to tell you, I've been a little discouraged sometimes these days going online, looking um, at some of the online bookstores or even going to bookstores in person and not being able to find good picture books. So how do I do that? Yeah, I remember walking into the children's book section of our, my library when my oldest, who's now 20, was one. She's on my hip and I walk in and I see this sea of picture books and some of them are face out. Some of them are, most of them are not, right? And I, can, I know that some of these are better than others because like I said at the beginning, some of them make you just want to poke at your eyeballs. But I couldn't figure out what it was, why that is. And it can be a little frustrating if you've read book after book after book and they're just not good. It feels very demoralizing and it doesn't make you want to read more with your kids. Um, a couple of things are helpful. I always, I like to use book lists as a general guideline, because if you like with the book list that we make at Read Aloud Revival, for example, are not comprehensive. We're not trying to get every single amazing book on them, but we try to give you a, a curated list of like, here are some really good books. So start with these and, or start with a couple from here. What looks good to you as a way to familiarize yourself with authors and illustrators who are reliably making really good books. And once you get practiced and like you you can pretty much know that anytime you pick up a Jan Brett book or anytime you pick up a book by Tommy DePaola, you're going to find oh it's going to be better than a lot of the other books on the shelves. So realizing the book lists are your friend that getting to know authors and illustrators names, just a few of them. But one other thing that I think is really key here is it doesn't take that many books. And usually uh, kids want us to read the same book over and over. There's a really good brain science reason for that. They're making all these connections and reading on a better layer or a better level every time we reread the same book. There's some interesting research that shows, in fact, that with younger kids, they retain the vocabulary from rereads better than they do. So if I was to read five different picture books to my kids in one week, or if I was to read one book five times to my kids, that week, they would retain the vocabulary from the one book read multiple times better than if I'd read to them this wide array. So I think sometimes we think we need to constantly be refilling our coffers of picture books with new selections when if you just find a handful that you love, you can read and reread and reread those. And that's just as valuable, if not more valuable. Oh, that makes me think of uh, five in a row. I did five in a row yes. with my kids. When they so did I. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So did I. Oh, man, if I could just go back to those days of homeschooling, like if I could have it back again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was really tired back then. 
I really like them being able to feed themselves. But I don't know. (laughs) My youngest is 12. Your youngest is younger than 12. So I think there's there's a nostalgia that'll eventually kick in for you there. So yeah, yeah, I'm waiting for it. It hasn't hit yet. (laughs) Okay. One of the things I love that you said was the book lists are don't just look at it as these are the books I need to go out and get. That's kind of like level one of the book list. These are okay. the books that I can go out and get yeah. and use in my homeschool. But this is also level two. This is my training ground. Yeah. By getting these books, then that teaches me how to find other books. And so it's the difference between giving people fish and teaching them to fish. Yes. So I love that because one of the things that we hear so often, like with our morning time plans, is I can't find all the books that are in there. And we tell people, make substitutions. We really don't expect you to go out and buy all those books. We give you Mm -hmm. lots of books because different libraries have different books. But I love this idea of of giving moms permission, say, let this show you what good books are. And then you can start making that decision for yourself. That's what I love this. It's like training wheels, right? The other thing to keep in mind here is that everybody's taste is different. And just because a book is good, doesn't like is actually objectively well written and well illustrated, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to love it. And sometimes I think, especially as homeschooling moms, we're like, I need to know what the good ones are because I can't trust my own taste. Mm-hmm. And understanding that there here are, you know, here are some samples of books that are really well written with good illustrations. And then you kind of develop your own taste and your ability to see books, to find other books that are just as well done, but aren't on the book list. And just because a book is on the book list doesn't make it more worthwhile than another one that you found. In fact, I think some of the very, very best books I have found recently have come from recommendations from people at Read Aloud Revival who are listeners of the podcast or part of our premium community who recommend a book to me and I've never heard or seen it before. And so it doesn't mean that just because it wasn't on our list, it's not good. I just hadn't seen it yet. You know, so it's this idea of being able to sort of under like look at be able to look at a book and go, oh, yeah, this one is worth reading or worth owning and realizing whether it's on a list or not. It's just as good as another one that's on the list. Yeah, I, like I think it's so important to to sometimes just go with what you like, whether other people think it's yes. a book or not, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's no shame in liking something that nobody else likes. And there's no shame in not liking something that everybody else loves. It's just like, it's, you know. It reminds me, Pam, actually, for a, a while there, years and years and years ago, you and I had a Pinterest board that we called uh, Books Pam Loves That Sarah Hates or or the other way around. And the other and way around. Vice or something. Versa. Yeah. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. Because <laughs> we didn't, I don't know, there was like a couple of books we found. We just didn't have similar tastes. Yeah. In books. And then now you you tell me that we don't have this problem anymore because you only recommend things that you think I'll like. <laughs> I mean, I think I've gotten better at noticing the books that you're like, oh, I liked that one. Give me another one like it. And so I'll be like, okay, I kind of store that away in my mental file. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So I know whenever I'm looking for a book to read aloud with my kids or we're going on a road trip and I'm wanting a great recommendation or you know, like the other day I was thinking about this history time period and I was like, I wonder if Read Aloud Revival has a book list for this time period. I go to you, like you are my go-to person for book lists for my kids and my homeschool and reading aloud. Does Sarah McKenzie use book lists? <laughs> I do. I do. There's a few reliable places I go look when I am um, either looking for a book, like you know, like you just said, for a certain time period or on a certain theme, or if I'm making a book list myself that I go for recommendations. So redeemedreader.com 
com. They have a wonderful system of reviewing books that are mostly they're reviewing books that are new. So it's Christian moms, a handful of them there who are writing reviews on a lot of books that are coming out now because it's easy for us to kind of find recommendations or reviews on classics or older books. But the new stuff is oftentimes what our kids want to read and is oftentimes also what has most problematic content in it for us as far as like what we want our kids to read. And so having someone else look through it and go, okay, the Redeemed Reader ladies aren't going to tell you, yes, read this one or don't read that one. But they're going to go, here are some things you might want to know about this book that might that might come up for you. And then they give it a, a rating. So they're a resource that I lean on heavily, especially for new books. And they can read those newer ones b- faster than I can because there's multiple of them working on it there. So they're a great resource. And then a lot of times I will just, uh, and this kind of goes back to that idea of training wheels and like where you're starting to learn authors and illustrator names that are, you know, consistently putting out really, really wonderful stories for kids. I will just Google like a homeschool books about, and then I'll, you know, whales, let's say. And I will look through some lists. Now, what I have found is that most people who are making book lists are just looking up all the books they can find. Let's say picture books about whales. They're just looking up all the picture books they can find about whales and putting them on a list. And that's not that helpful because some of those books are really not engaging at all. And some of them are fabulous. So I will start there, put a lot of them on hold at the library, and then curate. So where all of our lists are kind of shorter than that at Read a Lot Revival because we're trying to pick ones that we think are universally winners. Like, very good chance that you're going to love this book. But again, when I'm looking through like a long list like that, I can kind of notice author and illustrator names that I've recognized. Or if I see the same book listed on a couple of different lists, then I'll, you know, think it's a more reliable, a more reliable source. But again, you don't need that many. So even if you're looking at a list of, let's say you're doing American revolutionary history and you find three good picture books or or three good like one good novel and two good picture books three with your kids if those stories are read in a way that's like leisurely and memorable and enjoyable they're going to have a better impact than if you'd read 12 so you yeah. don't need that many which i think can be really freeing too yeah i love that idea of just choosing a few good books as opposed to trying to read all the books yes less is oftentimes more especially if you can reread that book again or just have a more relaxed demeanor when you're reading it because you're not feeling like you're trying to plow through some long list. So I think then the books that you choose to read, even though there are only a few of them, will end up having a better impact. Yeah. Okay. So let's say I'm I'm just wandering into the bookstore to the library and I want to walk out. I don't have a list. You know, I just don't have one today. I want to walk out with a couple of really good winners for my kid. Like, how do I even start? That's tricky. I think it's getting trickier because I think sometimes the books that are on display in our libraries, some it just depends, library to library. If you can form a relationship with your librarian, that's a good place to start. It w- There'll be some trial and error. So I hear from a lot of people who try to get books recommended by their librarian and think, she just doesn't understand the books we like, but she, she they're not mind readers. <laughs> so you have to like say, oh yeah, we did not like that one. And just be like kind about it. Thank you so much for those recommendations. This one wasn't a fit and this one wasn't a fit, but this one totally was. And this is what we liked about it. That will help her or him give you a better, you know, have a better chance of giving you books that you really like um, and that are regularly good fits. A couple of things that you can do usually or often, I should say, libraries have lists or collections of like, Caldecott award-winning books in the picture book session section. And they're not 
all fabulous. I get irritated every once in a while at a book that's chosen for a Caldecott, but I think your chances of reading a book that's very engaging and has illustrations worth looking at and looking at again and looking at again, they are higher with a Caldecott. With it, you know, if you're looking at a collection of Caldecott books or Newbery books, if you're talking about middle grade novels or kids' novels, then but that's another good place. Again, they're not, you know, I wouldn't give like a universal recommendation of everything that's won an award, but I think you're just better. You're probably going to find, you have a better pool to start with. The other thing I would do is look for picture books that are picture book authors that have done a large amount of work. So you'll notice if you go, for example, to the Brett section, I already mentioned Jam Brett. So if you go to the B section, you're going to find Jan Brett has a whole bunch of picture books. And once you find an author like that, you'll probably notice you haven't read all of her books because there are a ton of them. Or uh, Eric Carle or Tommy DePella or Philip and Aaron Stead. There's just a lot of authors and illustrators who are making a pretty significant body of work that you can reliably like find something else that they would like based on yeah, books that you've enjoyed like- before. Karma Wilson is another yes. one that comes to mind. I yes. love so many of her books. I'm really excited. I'm glad you mentioned her because I just got an email from her yesterday. We're going to oh. have her read a lot of revival this November and I'm very excited. Okay, you tell her that Pam Barnhill thinks that Frog in a Bog is one of the best books ever written. Oh. I know, isn't it? It's just, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was an absolute favorite. You know, somebody like an Ezra Jack Keats. He has yep. all the Peter books, so many of those. And yeah, so just those are some favorites I can think of from when my kids were little as yeah. well. And also like you can just think back to books that you loved as a kid. Now, this doesn't always work. I My favorite picture book as a child was King Bidgood's In the Bathtub. I remember going to the library story time. I was probably seven or something and hearing this book and just thinking it was amazing. And my kids are all do not like this book at all. I mean, Audrey will tell you like it gave her nightmares. And I think, (laughs) I don't know if you know the story. There's these lush medieval paintings of a king that will not get out of the bathtub and all the, the leader of the military and the queen and the, all the different people all throughout the castle are trying to get him out of the bathtub. And it's finally the page the little boy page who figures out that he needs to pull the plug. Anyway, it's really funny, but there is an audio drama of it that has like some music and stuff that apparently really haunted my poor oldest child. So my kids don't love that book, but there are books that you remember as a kid. Sandra Boynton had the Chloe and Maud series when we were kids. I think those might be out of print, but again, like I can go to Sandra Boynton's books and go, okay, I loved these as a kid. So even if it's not the highest quality picture book, if you're having a good time reading it, yeah. even if it's just sentimental value, you're going to be transferring so much of that enthusiasm for reading to your kids that you can't manufacture. Oh, I love that. And okay, so my favorite Sandra Boynton book is the Going to Bed book. Picture <laughs> <laughs> of me reading Olivia that when she was like three or four weeks old. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. think before it was all over, I memorized it. No. And they put on their pajamas and go exercise in that one. Is that I right? I'm trying know. to have uh, Yeah. I, but I think they got in the bath first. They got I in the bath and right. they put on their pajamas and then they went to exercise and they were yeah. in a boat. It was, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it works. I don't know. It does. We'll read that book to my grandchildren one day. So. Yes. Yes. So. Okay. All right. So, oh, where was I at? <laughs> okay. What do I, what do I do? And I just want to touch on this quickly because I have to ask you a big question about a big a big surprise project. What do I do if my teenagers don't want to read those picture books anymore? Okay, yes. And they're not probably going to want to at first. So 
you have to kind of normalize it. And that's going to take some time. There's a couple of things that I do when I read picture books with my high schoolers. Number one is that I don't sit them around. Like we think of reading a picture book, like maybe sitting with a little kid on our lap and reading it or sitting on a couch and they're all like right next to you. There's my 16 year old is not interested in sitting right, snuggled up next to me on the couch. There's, there's no part of this where he's like, yes, that's what I want to do. So, so I will oftentimes just read the book and then, well, we might talk about it afterwards and he'll be flipping through looking at the pictures. So it could look different than you think it, than you think of. It doesn't need to look like a five-year-old reading a picture book. Um, they don't need to look at every single picture. They don't need to, you don't need to be worried about them like getting every single thing out of it. So even if you're like, treat it like a short story and you're going to read it to them. Usually with a picture book, there is some element in the illustrations that they sh- maybe should see or might need to see in order to get the full story because it's not a picture book is not just a short story. It's usually a short story that is told half in pictures and half in text. And so looking at the illustrations is important, but come up with, you know, some low barrier ways to let them see the illustrations. You might just every third picture or something or when you notice something in the illustration, go, oh, wow, look at the picture of that ship. Can you imagine being in that hold for so long or whatever it is that you're, you're reading? Oh, I love um, that. And one other idea is if you have older and younger kids, it, making it part of their school day to read a picture book to the younger kids can be a great way for them both to get it. <laughs> so your younger child's getting read to you and your older child is getting the, all the good stuff in the picture book. So if you give them any kind of, especially nonfiction or picture book biography to read to the younger kids, they're, they're going to be learning all kinds of stuff. I learn something every time I read a new nonfiction picture book or a pic- picture book biography. So there's always something there. And then the other thing that comes to mind is that I guess I work pretty hard not to be make it weird. Like, now I'm going to read you a picture book and I know you're going to feel like this is like for little kids. But so I will just say, oh, I'm going to read you the story about Henry, um, Henry's Freedom Box, which is an incredibly well done picture book biography illustrated by Kadir Nelson. And um, I think, I mean, I'm trying to think, most of the time I'm not giving like a big introduction or like it's time for story time or now I'm going to read a picture book and I'm going to show you each of the pictures like a circle time librarian at, you know, the library story time or something. It's just a lot more casual than that. But also, if you can manage it, letting your kids catch you reading picture books on your own can help. In our house, it's just very normal for everybody to be reading a picture book every once in a while. If my teenagers walked in and I was sitting on the couch reading a couple picture books, nobody would go, what are you doing? You know, if you're like, oh, mom's <laughs> reading, you know, sometimes well, it's a newspaper. Sometimes well, you it's are Sarah McKenzie, you know, yeah. <laughs> I think people want okay. you to be reading pictures. Okay, that's true. <laughs> why we couldn't be doing it too so yeah 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 very much so i i think you just like put out a plate of brownies and say if you want one you gotta sit here and listen to me read that's brilliant (laughs) absolutely (laughs) and your 16 year old son might even be willing to snuggle up a little closer to you if you put brownies close to you yeah i don't know about that i don't know about that no okay well picture books i think that you probably have, like me, seen not as many good picture books out there recently. Mm-hmm. And so I know that you are doing something about that. So tell us about this new project that you've got going on. Yeah. I mean, for all these years that I've been reading and recommending books at Read a Ladder Revival and just with my own kids, uh, like I said, right at the beginning, I think I developed this habit of looking at a book after I'd finished it and trying to figure out like, what was it about this book that made it 
so much better than the last 10 books I read aloud to my kids. So I think over all this time, kind of seeing what makes a really timeless picture book, the kind that I like reading aloud, that engages my kids, that's fun to read, has fun words to say, or the language is fun to read, but also the illustrations are so well done. They make me want to look and look again and look again. And all of those pairing together make something like a classic or like a timeless book. And when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of Miss Rumpius by Barbara Cooney or Streganona by Tommy DePaola or a lot of the books illustrated by Jerry Pinkney. They're timeless. You could read them 30 years ago. You could read them 30 years from now, and they're going to be just as engaging. And I do think we're seeing less and less of those kinds of books coming out of publishers, books that aren't necessarily fixed at a certain point in time in history and current events, but books that are able to really tell a good story in that classical, classic good storytelling kind of way. So. We decided at Read Aloud Revival to launch our own publishing imprint called Waxwing Books, and we are making picture books to fit that bill. Basically, our number one priority is making picture books that are a joy to read aloud. So you can read them aloud all 20 times when your child's like, again, again, I want that one again for the next night in a row, but that are also so engaging to your kids and beautiful works of art. And so it's been a labor of love. We've been spending a long time getting these first projects ready, but we are about ready to launch a Kickstarter for our very first one. I wrote the text for this one. It's called A Little More Beautiful, The Story of a Garden. And it's illustrated by Breezy Brookshire, which is really fun because Breezy herself was homeschooled. And so it's just really fun to see her gorgeous illustrations, their watercolor illustrations, bring to life this story. When I first saw it all kind of laid out together, I thought, oh my goodness, this is a story that like this lady in this book lived in my head. And then I put some words on paper and Breezy made her come to life. And there she is. Like, I can't imagine her any other way. You know, it's really fun. So we are really excited. Um, What we're trying to do is basically make a book that you wouldn't be able to tell didn't come out of the New York market as far as like the quality of the paper and the hardcover and the dust jacket and the design of the book is we're just really putting this high emphasis on quality because we know that when parents read aloud with their kids, they kids want the same book. If it's really well done, they want the same book over and over and over. And the last thing you want to do as a parent is think, I wonder if I can hide this Dora the Explorer picture book. <laughs> they never asked me to read it ever again. So so yeah, we're that's what we're doing. I'm very excited. Okay. So this this has been like this has been years. In the it's been years. Yes. I mean, I think I wrote the text for this book. I mean, I'd have to look back and actually see, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was five years ago. And it's been on um, a journey through editing that text and honing it and then deciding what we are going to do with it and then deciding to launch Waxwing Books, which we did at the end of 2019, I think, or 2020. I can't remember which year it was. I'd have to go back and look. Where we really decided, you know what? I think we're going to make it ourselves. And it's really been a joy because since we're publishing the book ourselves, the Read Aloud Revival, we're able to really take everything we know about what makes book design a book of absolute joy to hold in your hand and and, and a work of art and pe- you know piece together all the different parts of that, whether it's book design or illustration or text or typography and put it all together into this gift that we're very excited to launch into the world. Oh, that's awesome. And then there are more books coming, right? 
There are more books coming. We've got several more in the pipeline, in the process of being illustrated as we speak. One is actually finishing illustrations as we speak. So we expect newer books to be rolling out behind this first one, maybe every six to nine months or so for a while. I love it. I love it. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the Kickstarter. Uh, What details do you have about that as far as if I'm really interested in getting my hands on this book and supporting? What would that look like? Yes. Thank you for asking. So basically, the reason we're launching a Kickstarter is so that we know how many books to print. (laughs) because um, Otherwise, we do not know how many books to print. And we want to make sure if you want one of the first book in the first print run, then the best way to make sure you get one of the first books in the print run is to order it through the Kickstarter. We're going to have some Kickstarter exclusives like a Kickstarter exclusive book bag and some prints and other really fun things in there that you get as a part of being part of this group that orders from the first print run. So the Kickstarter itself starts August 10th and will run through September 1st. And so if you want to get in on that first print run and have some of those fun rewards, then you want to head over to re... Nope. Sorry. I was going to clap because that's, that's what I don't want to <laughs> Then you want to head over to waxwingbooks.com and pop your email in there so that we can let you know when the Kickstarter launches. It'll be open, like I said, August 10th. And you'll get to pick from, you know, a few different packages of how you want your book, or you can just get the book itself. And even if you're international, there will be an ebook. And this is fun. Oh, I haven't told anybody this yet. So let me tell you this first book is actually going to come with an audiobook. So do you remember when we were kids and there was those audiobooks where you could listen to it while you were looking at a picture book and it would say like, Tring, turn yeah, the page. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're doing that because I don't know why they stopped making those. Those are so bad. Oh, those are so good. Yeah. So what we're doing is every book will have a QR code on the back. And so if you're buying the book, you're actually also getting a free audiobook. So you'll scan that QR code on the back and then there will be two different versions of the audiobook, one with the little page turn prompts and one without. So I'm very excited about that so that uh, your kids can be read aloud by you, can look at the book themselves and be read too or can look at the book themselves and just, you know, look at the pictures. So lots of different ways to enjoy it. I love that. I love that. And you're including it with the book, which is absolutely, it's so generous and awesome and amazing. And now, now I really do wish I had little kids again, because I needed that with my kids. <laughs> no, it's true, right? <laughs> you know, those kids who are learning to read and all of that stuff, they really, it's such an important thing. So I love that. And I have to tell you, I am so excited that you are having book bags with this Kickstarter. <laughs> We have gotten a person ask me, how do I get a read aloud revival book bag? And I realize this may be a different book bag, but at least there's a book bag. Actually, it's the same. It is going to be the same book bag, the same style with a new design that coordinates with the book. So that's why it's a Kickstarter exclusive is because the only place you can get this particular book bag is through the Kickstarter. So if you have been waiting for a read aloud revival book bag, first of all, I'm sorry that we haven't had them available for so long. (laughs) And number two, definitely check out the Kickstarter because I think you're going to love the design on this one. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me here today. And I love, love, love this project. I've um, I've been so excited about it for a couple of years now, and I'm, I'm glad to finally see it coming out and coming to fruition. And thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom about picture books and how to choose the really good ones and just how to have more confidence as a mom, like looking to read to your kids because it is one of the best things you can do. And uh, and yeah, thanks for giving us the skills to do it. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I love being here. 
And there you have it. Now, if you would like links to any of the books and resources that Sarah and I chatted about today, and there were quite a few book links, you can find them on the show notes for this episode of the podcast. That's at pambarnhill.com slash YMB118. And we will also link to Waxwing Books for you over there so you can get on the wait list for that exciting Kickstarter that's going to be coming up really soon and maybe even get your own book bag. So all of that is on the show notes, pambarnhill.com forward slash YMB118. And hey, thank you so much for joining me here today. We really appreciate you as a listener of this podcast. It means so much to us that you are here and you take the time to listen. Now we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another great morning time interview. We're going to be talking to Colleen Rain. Now Colleen is a homeschool mom and she has been doing morning time in her home for a number of years. She has some really great insights, and I think you'll enjoy the interview. Until then, keep seeking truth, goodness, and beauty in your homeschool day. Mm-hmm.